appreciate an interest in your prayers, the time that we stand before you this morning. When you, when you look around throughout the week, uh, when you uh, maybe read uh, the newspaper or listen to the news or just maybe conversations with folks uh, in the workplace, does it, when you see the, the evil, the iniquity, uh, things that just seem like they're going in the wrong direction, does it ever cause you to, um, to fret? Anybody here ever fret over that? Well, there's a, there's a chapter that helps us deal with it. Uh, there are some things that, that we can't change. Uh, it looks like in many respects that there's things around us that are changing and oftentimes it seems like they're changing really fast and it seems like that they're not changing for the better. Meaning a lot of the changes that are being uh, introduced, promoted, are things that are totally, completely contrary to God's Word that's supported in the Word of God. And when you have a, a measure of conviction and understanding about the things of God, it bothers you when you see uh, ungodliness or evil or iniquity being promoted. And it's even to the point that in other places and even here in this country that it's especially sometimes promoted against people that believe in Christian principles and God's Word and even in Jesus Christ. So how are we supposed to respond? Is there anything that can help us in the midst of in the midst of what we're living in, is it at all possible to experience a measure of peace with what we're struggling with right now? Preacher Thompson was an old man at this time. It was just a few years before he passed away. That his granddaughter Kathy had her newborn daughter. I, I can't get her name right now. Jenny. Jenny. Know her well and, and, and her husband. I married him. I'm sorry that I had a mental break. Jenny. But she was a little newborn baby. And Kathy carried her newborn to her grandfather, Elder Thompson. And she wanted Elder Thompson to be able to hold his great-granddaughter. He was an old man at the time. And she placed her daughter in Elder Thompson's arms. And he said, as per Kathy, Oh my, the world that you're being born into. Well, I think Elder Thompson would be even more surprised today. The world that folks are being born into. Considering what we're in right now, is it even possible 
to have a measure of peace. In Psalm chapter 37, it gives us a prescription right here. It starts out, and it starts with the word fret. Now, if you want to Google the word fret and look it up and get the definition or the meaning of the word fret, it means a tearing away, a constant gnawing away. Does it ever feel like it's a constant gnawing away? When you look around and you see the things around you, that it just bothers you. It almost can obsess you if we allow it to do so. If we don't watch out, it will even obsess us. Well, how are we as Christians supposed to respond in this day and time? God's word is as applicable now. In fact, in my humble opinion, it's probably more applicable now than it ever has been. Because there's so much more a need for God's Word. So thank goodness God doesn't leave us helpless. But He gives us some things that will help us in the midst of the situation we're dealing with right now. So if you have something that's gnawing away at you. If you have something that's eating away at you. Here's a prescription that comes right from the Lord through David. He brings this prescription to us right here. He tells us how to handle it. There's 40 verses. We'll probably not get all 40, but we'll just kind of hit, the, hit the, uh, the main verses right here. It just starts out and it says this right here. Fret not. So it begins to tell us right here, and then it tells us some things to do to put in place of fretting. In fact, this psalm talks about two different groups of folks right here. It talks about a group of folks that are attempting to follow the Lord, that have been touched by the Spirit of God, that have a desire for better things to come, have a desire of heaven, it talks about believers in the Lord and in the promises of God. And then it gives a completely different, almost 180 degree comparison of those that are committed to working iniquity. It gives a comparison to folks that they work evil, that that's their desire. That's their only desire. I've mentioned to you before that uh, I'm not a promoter of Judge Judy. That is probably, uh, but but one thing she said that, that that I had to almost agree with. Somebody there was a, a person that was just given to evil, uh, just without any restraint whatsoever. And she said, "There's some folks that are just wired differently." Well, here's it's talking about some folks that are wired differently right here. And he says he starts out and he says. Don't fret because of evildoers. He said, now, you've heard, uh, you've heard the saying that some folks say, you can't see the forest for the trees. It, it, it kind of means, or the way I interpret it, it means that when you're right there in the middle of it, you can't really get a clear picture or a clear understanding. So, Right here, when we're down on the same 
level as the evildoers and the workers of iniquity, and it's all around us, sometimes we don't get a clear picture. What this psalm does right here is it helps us step back from where we are. It helps us to step outside the box. It helps us to see it not from our perspective of it being all around us, but it almost gives us a bird's eye view. It gives us an overview. It gives us a view of how God sees it. And sometimes when we can see things a little differently and we can step back and we can see it from an overview or when we can see it from God's view, it makes a world of difference on how we act, how we respond, on how we, uh, what we do, what we think, if we can get an overview of it. Well, this psalm gives us an overview. It gives us a view from God's perspective of what's going on right now. First of all, Brother Mark mentioned this in his prayer. Uh, I've heard others mention it. There are no surprises to God. There's not. God is not surprised about what's going on right now. He's not. He's fully aware of it. All right, let's look at this. I hope it helps you. It helped me, and I hope it helps you. Helps me because sometimes I do find that I fret because of the evildoers. Let's look at it. I hope it helps you. It tells us what to do in place of fretting because of evildoers. So let's look at it and see. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither, thou, neither be thou envious... Against the workers of iniquity. Alright, he starts out and he begins to establish the picture right here. He says, even though it may appear. Psalm 73, you can go over and read that. It's a great psalm to explain this right here. But he says, first of all, don't be overly worried. Don't be overcome with anxiety because of the workers of iniquity. There's always been workers of iniquity. There's always going to be workers of iniquity until the Lord comes back. There will be. But sometimes it feels like that it's hitting pretty close to home. It's pretty close around us. So how are we to respond? He says, first of all, when you look at the workers of iniquity, it may appear to you that they have. Have you ever heard the saying, the life of Riley? I don't know who Riley was. But apparently they thought he really had it together. Everybody wanted to have a life like Riley had. Because he didn't have the problems that other people had. He could go out and live his fill of sin. He could do what he wanted to. And there were no restraints in it. And he was the life of the party. And he was everybody's friend. That's sort of the life of Riley. But what he's saying right here is don't look at Riley and think that's the way to live. Because all you're seeing when you look at Riley, when you're looking at that, you're seeing a snapshot of Riley's experience and of his life right here. So you're only looking at right now, you're looking at anybody remember those old, uh, anybody here remember those old Pol Polaroid cameras that, uh, well, we really thought we were advanced when you could push a button 
and all of a sudden in about 30 seconds you'd see this picture pop out the side. Some of you may still have some of those. That was so advanced. Well, all you're seeing right now when you look at the, the life of the workers of iniquity, even though it may appear that they really have it together, they're having a big time, they're everybody's friend, they're the life of the party, you're only looking at a snapshot of their life. That's what he's saying right here. But he says, I'm going to give you a bigger picture of their life. I'm going to give you an overview. And he says, don't you look at it, and don't you desire it, and don't you be envious of it. Look what he says. He says, don't you, be, don't you desire or be envious of the workers of iniquity. He says, for they soon shall be cut down like the grass, and they shall wither like the green herb. Then he says, for those that are followers of the Lord, he begins to give us a prescription right here. Some really good words that will help us. He begins to give us a prescription right here to change our thinking. And then throughout this psalm, he'll remind us in a few more segments about the end result of the workers of iniquity. He said, don't be enticed by them. Don't be drawn by them. He says, first of all, he says, they may be living it to the fullest right now. But he said, they're pretty soon going to be cut down like the grass. And he says, and by the way, they're going to wither like the earth. But he said, as far as you're concerned, he says, you trust in the Lord. Don't be the time and the effort and the energy that you would spend being filled with anxiety and fret and fear. You take that time and you go and you use that time to trust in the Lord. Now, none of us know how much time we have left. I was thinking about this strange thought that I was thinking about. But the uh, Lord says that he gives us about three score and ten. And I thought, you know, if that's the case, uh, in just a few months, I've just about finished the three score. And I'm starting on the ten. And that's not real encouraging. If, if that's the case, if I finish the scores and now I'm on the 10, the point being, if there's only a certain time that's left, then we really don't want to carve out any of that time to be dedicating it to the fretting against the evildoers and the workers of iniquity. Take that very time that we have, whatever measure of time it is, we generally sleep six, eight, six, seven, eight hours a day, and that range probably takes all of us probably an hour or two just to get ready for the day. You carve that out, and then you're narrowing it down to about 10 or 12 hours a day. And you don't want to spend any of that time filled with anxiety and fear and fretting. You want to take that time and you want to take it and you want to use what time to trust in the Lord. You know, I, I'm concerned, but I'm not overly concerned because I know that God is in control. I know that God is in charge. And this is what he says right here. He says, first of all, you trust in the Lord. Well, you know what? That ought to take all of our time. But then he says something else right here. And this is for every single one of us right here. 
And this should be a full-time job for us. If you're tempted to be given to fretting about it, take that time and number one, trust in the Lord. And then secondly, he said he just simply says right here, trust in the Lord and do good. What does he mean? Look around you and find some way that you can use the gifts that God's given you to do good to help somebody else. I'll give you an example right here that we all know. Sister Kathy Parker, one of the gifts that she had was in this beautiful work of art that she could, she no tell in how many hours she spent putting those wonderful albums. I think Michael and Katie, you all were one of the last beneficiaries of these beautiful albums that she had. She took the gift that she had and she used it to help and encourage somebody else. And in so she was doing good. Do you know one of the things that helps me, and I had not got it all figured out. One of the things that helps me to avoid sin and temptation and the struggles like that is if I fill up my time trying to find things that I can do that are good, doesn't leave a whole lot of extra time. We ought to be looking for ways that we can take the gifts that God's given us and use those gifts to do good. Now, even among our own church family, there's there's folks that we could look out among us and minister to. It could be giving them a phone call. It could be sending them a card. It could be taking them a, a casserole or some fresh vegetables out of the garden. It could be calling and having prayer with them. Just letting them know that you're thinking about them. Look for ways that you can simply do good. So that's the first thing. So here's a way that you you overcome fretting. Number one, you trust in the Lord. Number two, you do good. He says, and he says, by the way, if you're doing that, if you're trusting in the Lord, if you're doing good, he says, then you're going to dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. By the Lord is what he's talking about. Your spirit will be encouraged. And then he says something right here that I I like this word. I like this word. He says, delight. It it almost sounds like dessert. I mean, it's a good word. Delight. I mean, the, the, the Lord's house is referred to as a delightsome land. Delight is just almost the opposite of fretting, is it not? I mean, you pick. Would you rather fret or would you rather delight? I mean, right here he's telling you ways that you can delight. So he says, first of all, you trust in the Lord. And he says, then you do good. And then he says, you delight yourself in the Lord. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? I had a situation that that came up that was not... It was very worrisome. And, and I just didn't know how I was going to face it or handle it. And I ran over to Philippians. And I claimed that verse that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And all of a sudden I was delighting in the Lord, in His Word. One of the ways we can delight in the Lord is to delight in His Word. I'll tell you what, this would be a great exercise for you. It'd help you a whole lot. It will help you a lot. 
If you go through the scriptures, you do it in, in the book of Psalms, you do it in the Old Testament, and you go through and you take a highlighter and you highlight all the promises that God has for His people. And then you take those promises and there's going to be a time that you may need them and you can run and grab those promises and claim those promises. That's how you delight in the Lord. I'll tell you another way you delight in the Lord. My grandmother had written in her Bible in the front of it several sayings and one of them was, memory is a luxury that only those that go right can afford. Just meant to say that folks that are not living right really don't have the luxury of having good memories. Well, you can delight yourself in the Lord just in the wonderful experiences and memories that you've had in times past. In the blessings and deliverances of God in, in your life, you can delight yourself in the Lord. You can delight yourself in the Lord in thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when you look at your life and you see that it's a, it's a wreck, it's in shambles, and that God can take ashes and bring them together, that's a delightful thought. It's a delightful thought to know that, that someday we're going to be delivered from all this. I encourage you. I, I, I don't only encourage you to listen to Brother Bradley. There's a lot of great messages out there. But boy, Brother Bradley preached a great message this morning about looking unto Jesus. And he has been impressed to speak about good news in these difficult times. And I tell you, he started preaching about heaven. And by the time he got through, I was ready to go. It was a wonderful message. You can think about heaven and you can delight yourself in the Lord. He said, delight thyself also in the Lord. And he says right here, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That's interesting. What does he mean? If your desires are in line with God's will, and if you're praying God's will, and if you want to know God's will, and you're asking God's will in your life, he says right here that if God gives you those desires, God's going to grant the desires of your heart. That's, that's really encouraging. And then he says... Commit thy way unto the Lord. What does that mean? Uh, that's especially great for young folks. Commit your way to the Lord. When you're starting out in life, where you're going to go to school, where you're going to work, people that you're going to associate with, the friends that you're going to pursue, the people that you're going to fellowship with, he says, you commit it to the Lord. You can almost say right here, is the Lord going to be honored by this relationship, this friendship? Is the Lord going to be honored by this job that I'm going to be engaged in? Is the Lord going to be honored by this area of my life? He says you commit your way unto the Lord. Did you know that if a young person early in life commits their way, their life to the Lord, I want you to know... Luke, if you do that, I know you've been baptized. But if you commit your way, your walk, your life to the Lord, it'll make a difference the rest of your life. It will. It'll not just make a difference for you. It's going to make a difference for those that are around you. It'll make a difference for your friends, your family, your parents, your grandparents, if you commit your way unto the Lord. 
He said, you commit your way unto the Lord. And he says, by the way, trust in him. He says, and, and, and I think that that partly means right here. That sometimes we're maybe afraid to commit certain areas of our life to the Lord. Is there anything we may want to hold back on right here? He's saying right here, you commit every area of your life to the Lord. And then you turn right around and you trust him to lead you in the right way. So he starts out and he says, trust the Lord. And then he says, you commit your way to the Lord. And then he says, you trust the Lord again, that he's going to lead you in the right way. He says, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. And then here's another really good. I like this as well. He says, rest in the Lord. Anybody ever get really tired? John gets tired. No doubt he he said he gets tired. I don't know how tired this is, but in Texas there was an old saying. Folks would say, I'm dog tired. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it means you're you're just past being tired. I sometimes get in at night and I pull in and I start to get out of the vehicle and I think, boy, I am just so beat. Well, you know the solution for that is really good rest. And he says right here that, he says those that are trusting in the Lord, those that are looking to do good, those that are delighting in the Lord, those that are committing their ways to the Lord, he says now, he says you can rest in the Lord. If the Lord's put something on your heart to do, and even though it might be difficult for you to do, and even though it may take a measure of your time to do it, but you go through and you do it, and you commit to it, and you finish the task that God has put before you to do, you may be extremely worn out, extremely tired, But I tell you, there's a great satisfaction and there's a great peace in the rest that you get when you've been used of the Lord. Let's look what he says. Rest in the Lord. And he says, and wait patiently for him. He says, again, fret not because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass and then he says for those of us that might be overcome with with anger or wrath wrath being the next phase of anger he says cease from anger so there's a lot of stuff going on that in our mind we could justify being angry all the time and to the point that we're even overcome with wrath So how do we keep from experiencing that? He says, put those things in place in the first six verses. And then he says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. And he says, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. He he says, and don't you be tempted to do what they're doing. Don't you turn around and, 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 and give recompense to them that are doing evil. Don't you do that. He says, don't be tempted to do evil. He says, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. 
Because he says, now I'm going to give you a bigger picture. Step back and look. And he says, for from my perspective, he, and this is God's. He says, the evildoers shall be cut off. Wonder how they're going to be cut off. Is it because of what we're doing? It's because God's going to cut them off. They're doing things that God's seeing. They're doing things that are a stench before God. They're doing things that God abhors. And he says right here, he says, you're looking at them and you think it's always going to be like this. But I'm going to tell you that my wrath is coming and they're going to be cut off. Now, you remember old Jonah? Remember Jonah? A lot of us can relate to Jonah in a lot of different ways. But Jonah got upset because Jonah wanted the wrath of God to come upon the Ninevites. He said, they're going out and they're doing ungodly things and, and they're not following the Lord. And he says, and I'm angry and I'm justified to be angry against them. And Jonah wanted the wrath of God to come upon the Ninevites. In fact, he was sent to preach a gospel of repentance and he didn't even want him to, he didn't want to take the message because he didn't want him to repent because he wanted the wrath of God to come upon him. Here he says, don't you be tempted to do evil. He says, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But he says, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And I think what he's saying right here is we know that we're going to inherit heaven someday. But there's a lot of blessings that are here for the followers of Christ on this earth as well. The humble. And it mentions this here in just a minute. He says, for yet a little while, here's the snapshot. Here's the Polaroid picture right here. Yet for a little while, the wicked shall be, shall not be. Yea, they shall diligently consider his place and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Reference to Matthew. The meek shall, or Matthew's reference, the meek shall inherit the earth. And they shall delight themselves in the... This is pretty good right here. It gives us a real description on where we ought to be. He says, they shall delight themselves. He says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And they shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let me ask you. I mean, just get real. Are we experiencing the abundance of peace? Now, I'm not talking about, like, the peace movement in maybe the 70s up at uh, Woodstock, New York, and up in, in, in that area where everybody went around with the, uh, the peace signs on the bumper stickers of their car and stuff like that. There's some of us here that are old enough to remember that. That's not what he's talking about right here. He's talking about in the midst of all this chaos right now. That the humble meek servant of the Lord can actually experience an abundance of peace. So you can actually, if you're not experiencing the abundance of peace, then go back and look at your life and go back up those verses right there and see if you're actually doing what he's saying. If you're actually trusting in the Lord. If you're actually going about doing good. Did you know that one of the ways you can experience the abundance of peace is to take the gifts that God's given you and go use them and do good. 
And you're going to be blessed in doing it. You're going to experience peace when you do that. This is how God designed it. Then he says, again, the wicked, they plotteth against the just. It means they're conniving. It means they're desiring to do harm to the just. But he says, I'm looking at it from heaven. I'm looking down and I'm seeing everything that's going on. I'm seeing what's happening to the righteous. I'm seeing what's happening to the just. I'm seeing every bit of it. He says, the wicked plotteth against the just. And it says, and they gnasheth upon him with his teeth. And then look at the Lord's response. It says, the Lord shall laugh at him. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the Lord in that fashion. But it says, when the wicked are devising and conniving their plots against the ungodly, he says, the Lord's going to laugh at him. Why does he say that? He says, the Lord's going to laugh at him for he, God, looking at it from the bird's eye view, from above, it says, for he seeth that his day is coming. His day is coming. So God sees the big picture. Not only the snapshot that we see right now. And he tells us how we are to respond in the midst of all this evil. Let's look at what he says right here. He says, the wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow and to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay such that be of an upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be, their bows shall be broken. We have a great example of that, of Haman, who was desiring the life of Mordecai. And he even created the gallows for Mordecai and Haman was hung on his own gallows. So the wicked who are desiring and devising and conniving the plots. If you live long enough, you may look back and you may see that they're actually hung on their own gallows. You sure will. He says, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken. How are they broken? The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. That just simply means that the Lord's going to take care of his people. The wicked, it says, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. And it's giving a picture right here of roasting a lamb. And this is how I picture it. And probably those of you that are into roasting and grilling could even pick it all the more, but picture it all the more and describe it. But it talks about the fat that's on the lamb, how that it just goes away and is gone when the lamb is still there. And he says that that's how the wicked are going to be consumed into smoke. They're going to be consumed away. And then he says, by the way, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. That's interesting. That's interesting. 
The wicked are always wanting to borrow and pay not away, pay not again. That's interesting. Because he gives us a comparison right here. What does that mean? That's actually talking about folks that want to live off somebody else and never, never pay it. Borrow, pay not away, pay not again. Then he gives the comparison right here. He said, but the righteous, they have a different conviction in their heart. The righteous want to take what God's blessed them and they want to use it to bless other folks. The righteous want to do good with what God has given them. The righteous want to help other folks out. The righteous have a heart to serve and to be used of the Lord. But he says the wicked have a different heart. They want to borrow, borrow, borrow. They want it given. And they don't want to ever pay back. Now that's the way that God's Word describes it. Pretty pretty applicable to 2020, is it not? Look what he says. He says, for such as be blessed of him that shall inherit the earth, they, they that, that be cursed of him shall be cut off. And then he says, verse 23, the steps of a good man. I tell you, Brother Phil, every time I think of, of uh, a description like this of a good man, immediately Boris Jackson pops into the picture. I think of Boris Jackson when I read this. If I've ever known a good man, it was Boris Jackson. That's not the only good man I've known, but I'm thankful I know a lot of good men, but Oris Jackson's was at the top of the list. And he says right here that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. What does that mean? The Lord's laid out his steps. The Lord's given him a path to pursue, and he's pursued that path. He said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And by the way, those of you that knew Oris Jackson, he wouldn't claim that verse to himself. He knew he was a sinner, but I tell you, he was a good man that loved the Lord. Great example for us. Brother Andrew Huffman and I, just throw this. The old preachers down south used to call it chasing a rabbit, so I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a minute right here. Brother Andrew Huffman and I were talking yesterday, had a good conversation, and uh, we just started talking about all the wonderful brothers and sisters that have been here at Mount Carmel and we talked about how special all the folks have been that have blessed the church here at Mount Carmel. Such a unique, broad group of folks. He brought up Brother Polk, and he started telling Brother Polk stories. And I started telling Sister Laura stories. And I mean, we just had a really good time thinking about all those wonderful folks. Well, he says right here, that even though a good man might fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. wonder why that is. It says a man that his ways are dedicated to the Lord, that's serving the Lord. It says that he might fall. But he says he's not going to utterly be cast down. And the reason that he's not, it tells us right here. Because the Lord has him in his hand. So you can't fall... You can't fall very far. You fall down, and you're still in the hand of the Lord. Now that's a pretty good place to be. 
You fall down and He's going to help you get back up. You make a mistake and you're still in His hand. And that's a loving hand. And that's a caring hand. And that's a sustaining hand. And that's a protecting hand. And even though we might stumble and fall along the way here, we're still in the hand of the Lord. That's why we can't utterly be cast down. And then David says something right here. We got three minutes to hit 15 verses. I'm going to just really hit it hard. I want you to, this is really good. David said this I've been young. Everybody here can think back about when you were young. I've been young. And he says, and now I'm old. You know, there's a little bit of credibility that comes with old age and all the experiences that you've experienced. David said, I've been young. And he said, now I'm old. And he said, I've witnessed a few things. And he said, looking back in my life, in my life, in my experiences, he said, I go back all the way to my youth and I follow it all the way up to my old age. And he says, when I look back upon my life, he says, here's what I conclude right here. He says, I have, he says, yet have I not seen, he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And he says, nor his seed begging bread. Now, what does that mean? His seed, I believe, is the offspring of the righteous. And David said, when I look back over my life, I've witnessed those that have followed the Lord, those that have been close to the Lord, those that have fellowshiped with the Lord. And he said, I've looked back upon my life and I've never seen them forsaken. And he says, in fact, I can say that I've never seen their seed begging bread. That's a pretty good description. That's David's account right there. He says, he, the Lord, is every merciful and he lendeth and his seed is blessed. He said, depart from evil. And again, he says, and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not the saints. They are preserved forever. Boy, now that's good. The saints of God are not just preserved for a season. Not just preserved if they do right or they do good. But the saints of God are preserved forever. There's not anything that can separate you from the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because you are preserved by the blood of Christ. And you're preserved forever. That's a great place to be. I mean, if it's not good enough for you to know you're in the hand of God, now you're preserved and you're preserved forever. Amen. I'm looking forward to going and visiting Steve and Kathy. And, I, and one of the things I'm looking forward to is visiting the church where they attend. My dear friend Chris Krause is pastor there. Wonderful, wonderful, pre- great preacher. Brother Chris has preached here many, many times. But one of the things that I like about going to the Little Union Church is that... At least every time I've ever been there. When I get ready to leave, there's an old sister, B. Cunningham, and I'm sure she probably does this for other folks as well. 
But she'll come out and she'll give me a care package and she'll say, this is for the road. And in this care package is either a bag of fresh pecans or fresh peanuts. And what's really, really special is she gives me this little jar of strawberry preserves. And I tell you what, when I get home and open those strawberry preserves up, I think the older they get, the better they are. And did you know that that's how the Lord's people are? You're preserved in Christ. And he says, you're preserved forever. Now, it may have been that strawberry jelly that drew Steve and Kathy down there. I'm not sure. Maybe she did that on them as well. But you're preserved in Christ. Well, there's ten more verses. I'll just tell you, go home and read it. It's really, really good. But here's the, here's the bottom line. Or this is, this is how I concluded. We've got enough stuff around us to cause us to fret. We do. But we really don't have, I don't feel like I have, enough time left that I want to carve out to commit to fretting. And if I take that time and I make an adjustment in my life to try to use that time to do good. To try to figure out a way that I can do something that will help somebody else. How do we do good? We try to help somebody else. That if I'm looking for a way to do good, then all of a sudden, and, 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 and I'm going to trust the Lord to lead me in that way. And then when I commit that way to the Lord, I'm going to trust the Lord to bless in that as well. Then he says that if we do that, we're going to have a peace that passes anything that this world offers. If you don't experience that peace right now, then just go through the checklist here in, in Psalm chapter 37 and see if there's one of these areas that you might be missing upon. We're going to experience a peace that passes anything that, that you, you can't even explain it. The peace that you're going to experience. You're going to delight yourself in the Lord. And you're also going to be able to rest in the Lord. And you're going to be able to know that the wicked, their day's coming. The Lord said it is. And if the Lord says it is, it is. We may or may not see it. But their day's coming. It's not a surprise to God. God's wrath and God... Now, there, don't get me wrong. There's a place for us to take a stand for the things that are right. If we start to be challenged on being able to worship and, and embrace the principles that we believe that the Scriptures teach, we need to take a stand. But we need to take a stand while we're trusting in the Lord and while we're praying for the Lord to intervene. And the Lord can place His wrath upon the ungodly and the wicked. And oftentimes the Lord doesn't need my help. He doesn't. Trust in the Lord. And he says, simply do good. If you look around and find ways you can just simply do good, you'll be blessed in it. I'm going to sing Sister Greenfield's. I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to give Sister Greenfield some kudos here. 
Is that still saying it's okay? You know, Sister Greenfield uses the gifts that she has. One of the things that she does every week, maybe several times a week, she calls Sister Virgie. See how she's doing if she needs anything. She calls uh, Sister Linda Gallion. She calls Sister uh, Farrington. Maybe others. Um, in order to get on her list, you have to be over 80. But, uh, but then she gets in the car and goes and visits Sister Perry, even if she has to do it at a distance. But she's using the gifts that God's given her. Then she'll drop off a homemade peach cake here at the church or some of that fresh chicken and dumplings. And she's simply using the gifts that God's given her to bless others. Brother Danny went down the church directory when this COVID stuff hit and started calling the elderly and the shut-ins and different ones and, and, and telling them if there's anything at all. Sister Reeves, he called you, didn't he? Take Brother Tom to the doctor, anything. That's taking the gifts that God's given and using those gifts. That's what he's talking about right here. In fact, Brother Danny brought a, a bunch of the young, folk, the young men over to visit me and uh, it was mostly an encouraging visit. Uh, very encouraged. Brother Luke was there and Brother Matt. It was really encouraging until Brother Danny said, Well, Elder, I appreciate his zeal. Well, Elder, Sunday we'll, uh, we'll come pick you up and give you a ride to church. And we'll even have the recliner out for you. <laughs> And I said, Brother Danny, you know that when folks graduate from the recliner, it's usually into heaven. <laughs> so I wasn't quite ready for the recliner. But uh, may God bless you.